You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company. Welcome to part two of our three-part series on the topic of meaningful interaction with culture in the world language classroom. I'm here with my colleague, Adam Belthouse, World Languages Marketing Manager at Savvis Learning. Adam, who do we have as our special guests today? Thanks, Walter. We're excited to welcome back Peggy Boyles and Rich Sayers, co-authors of the Savvis Middle School and High School Spanish series, Autentico, along with co-author Miriam Met. Peggy, Rich, thanks for coming back. Glad to be back. Yeah, same here. In the first episode of this podcast, we talked about investigating and interacting with cultural products, practices, and perspectives. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I recommend that you do. With that foundation, we can move to another concept that ACTFL includes in their national standards, making intercultural comparisons. Can you explain what this means? Yeah, in the national standards, um, one of the goal areas is the comparison standard. And it actually, it includes both language comparisons and cultural comparisons. But in this podcast, we're, we're focusing on the cultural comparisons under that standard. And just like we talked about in podcast one, when we're investigating and interacting target cultures, while they're doing that, students are developing the ability also to evaluate similarities and differences found from multiple authentic resources. They're not just relying on one. So through the process of a unit of study, they are looking at media, they're looking at print, they're looking at visual art. So all along they're gathering um, evidence and resources. And so they can start comparing um, different perspectives towards work and leisure time, or they could start looking at how um, holidays are uh, celebrated in both cultures, what products and what practices are done and how are they similar or different. They can start comparing social and cultural perspectives towards healthcare or um, you know any of those community service, any of those things that you might find in themes and upper level uh, courses as well. So um, I think the, nas- the, the standards are encouraging us to not only, as we said before, to integrate the communication of inter- uh, interpersonal and interpretive and presentational, but now also comparing them. I can see how using intercultural comparisons helps students to relate to new cultures based on their own experiences. Can you give us some examples of how this might be done in the classroom? Sure. I'll take that, Adam. Um, In the first podcast, Peggy really emphasized the importance of um, culture and getting students to participate in interacting with culture doesn't need to wait until level three or four. So um, early, just in the beginning language course, one of the things that we want to do is to get students right away to make those observations, maybe read about um, or or watch a video about culture, but then to make comparisons. So uh, perhaps students have uh, read about or seen uh, images or photos of different types of foods and beverages that people um, in cu- cultures consume. And perhaps, for instance, if it's a Spanish-speaking world, it's not going to be the same in every country. And so they might 
do that intercultural comparison. Um, maybe one of the things that comes up is that in a lot of countries, breakfast is a very light meal. But then part of getting them involved from the very beginning in making the, that uh, cultural comparison is then to simply ask them. And the good thing is this question that we're going to ask them can be done in Spanish and, the, and they can respond mostly in Spanish or in the target language, asking them, well, what do you eat? How does that compare with what you've just uh, read about or seen and so forth? So right away, they're getting used to the fact that I make cultural comparisons to my experiences or the experiences of my community. Um, another example, and again, I'm using very basic level ones because I want to, again, emphasize how important this is to start from level one on. Uh, students are learning about pastimes. It's one of the themes that we often do in a level one class. So they they may learn that um, sports clubs are very popular uh, in a particular uh, country or series of countries. A and that part of the reason for that is that maybe in those countries, schools do not have uh, sports teams. Uh, maybe they don't have the kind of equipment in schools that many of our schools have. So then students are asked to uh, comment in a cultural comparison way um, on, well, where do you go to participate in sports or exercise? Is it at school? Uh, is it private? Is it a public place? So what we're doing here is we're emphasizing how the process of making intercultural comparisons truly benefits all students. And what I mean by that is that we're asking our students to look for similarities and differences, but not just between other cultures out there, but also what they bring to the class, what, what comes from their own. Um, and they're being asked to think about some kind of a cultural community that they re represent. And I have found having heritage Spanish speakers in my class or um, having the students that are progressing up towards AP language and culture, I have found that this is so important to have this throughout all the levels. Um, there's a favorite um, author of mine uh, who actually creates many of our materials uh, for Savas uh, for uh, language arts. And one thing that he says that I think resonates with us as, as world language teachers also is he says, all students possess languages and literacies and stories that matter to them. All students have learned to be members of a culture. They come to us not necessarily with a mastery of culture, but with a membership and a cultural community. So all the things that we're talking about, part of what we're asking is to draw things out of our students from their own experiences and then look at others and make those comparisons. You know, and I, I also think that um, sometimes kids are, are asked to think about other cultures before they really even think about their own. You know, they want they have certain beliefs and values, but they don't really haven't thought about them. And so it's hard to transfer that kind of reflection if you haven't done your own reflection on that. So one of the things that the um, Peace Corps uses is to train volunteers who are going to countries where the culture is extremely different is to first ask them, which we can then ask our students, if you were to list the top 10 products or practices in the United States or in your community that would rec that would represent who we are in the United States, what would those be? And again, there's not a right or wrong answer, but things my students would come up with, you know, they might say going shopping at a mall or they might say, oh, well, the White House or, or fast food or I mean, there's a combination of practices and products. But then the real work begins when they have to start saying, 
okay, but what does that say about culture and our beliefs and our values? So for fast food, they might say, oh, well, you know, that that means we like everything to be now. We we don't want to wait. We don't we want to have drive up banks. We want to have drive up pharmacies. We want drive up food. We don't want to wait. That's just the way Americans are. And so if they start going through that process, then when they meet and start looking into another culture, they can then apply the same process. Well, what are some of the products and practices you see in, say, Argentina? Well, you see them drinking mate on the beach. You see a TV channel in Buenos Aires completely dedicated to the tango. What's that all about? You know, and so starting to think about those things are what helps kids transfer from one to another. And the Peace Corps has so many materials online that you can even look at for activities. And then another very, very similar thing, Rich did some talk about something very similar. But I think another thing is important that we bust open those stereotypes that that not just teenagers have but people all people have in general where they think oh well that's typical of that culture where in reality there's nothing particularly typical about a lot of things if you put your students in a group of four and just do a little round robin where they're answering a question you know a very simple question like que comiste para el desayuno you're not going to get the same answer even with four kids. One kid's going to say cereal. One kid's going to say nothing. Another kid may say something else. So what conclusion could they draw from that? Well, we can't even get consensus of what everybody eats within a group of four. You're certainly not going to get consensus about what everybody eats in a country. And so I think those kinds of activities that we can try to get kids to do that also break down stereotypes are helpful. What additional strategies have you used to help students make intercultural comparisons? Um, well, we want to get kids away from the reaction of that's weird. You know, if it's not like us, it's weird. And I think we want to try to get kids to get away from that and basically have to start thinking and us helping them to think in a reflective way. And that may be something as easy as putting an image on the screen or bringing something that you got from travel and bringing it in and asking them, what do you think they use this for? Why do you think they have this in their um, culture? Like the mate, the mate bowl with the straw and passing that around to a group of group of kids or, or friends. What does that, what does that mean? I, I mean, and if you, if I remember experiencing that when I was in Valparaiso in Chile and some teenagers asking me to come join their group and pass around the mate bowl. And I didn't know these kids. And I, my first reaction as a, I guess, an American culture was, well, that's not very sanitary. And then I thought, but come on, put your money where your mouth is. You, you interact in culture, let's go. And so I did. And then I realized as I was watching them talk and passing it around that that was how they were showing that they were friends and that they valued those close friendships. And so I think when kids start thinking about that. And they might not be able to see that right away, but they might if you were to ask them, what about your friends? What do you do with your close group of friends that you probably wouldn't do with a larger group of people that are acquaintances? And then they might start tapping into that. And I think those are very simple ways, but powerful ways, again, of getting them to think deep. I love those examples. Uh, thank you. They make me chuckle. Um, so 
when we were writing the textbook, I remember that you and Mimi and I would talk about this and we talk about the use of Venn diagrams. And I was still in the classroom at that time. And so I'd go back sometimes and I would try to bring a Venn diagram in and I was teaching high school students. So here are my 15 and 16 year olds kind of rolling their eyes. And at first I thought, well, why? And then I realized, oh, they've been using Venn diagrams since they were like in second grade. So one of the things that's very interesting is I found that teachers still see the great value of a Venn diagram because you're getting the chance to visually see what's unique about one culture, what's unique about another culture, what does the overlap be. But I've I've seen very creative things that teachers have done. Uh, maybe take the Venn diagram and put it on a whiteboard and then have the students come to the whiteboard and write things in the different sides because for some reason students just always love to go write on, on a whiteboard. Or maybe they put things on um, an index card and then those go posted in that. Um, I saw one very creative teacher who brought in two hula hoops and she overlapped the hula hoops like we would the lines of a Venn diagram. And the students sat on the floor and literally um, maybe they they thought for a moment and thought on a little post-it paper or an index card and then placed them in there and then had a discussion about what they did. So sometimes the use of a strategy simply means think in a creative way how the students can go through that same thing, but maybe in maybe a more interactive way. Um, another thing that I might do or that ha- that I have done, for instance, in the first part of this pod- podcast, I mentioned that you might watch an authentic video uh, with the audio off uh, for students to make observations about what they were seeing um, culturally uh, within that. And, and some of us might go, well, Rich, that sounds like a good idea, but how do I hold my kids accountable? Well, how about making like a three column chart? And this could be done on a piece of paper. You could have students take uh, a piece of uh, paper that they had already written on, turn it over to the blank side and have one column simply say observaciones, observations. And then maybe the second column says preguntas, which would mean not questions that I've asked them, but questions that maybe they have or thoughts that they have um, about what they're seeing and then lead that to comparaciones. Now, they wouldn't do all of that while they are watching the video, but they might Put, start putting ideas in, and then maybe they bring that chart together and then go into a small group. Each of them has observed something. Maybe they come up with other questions. So there's ways to do some of these tasks and hold our students accountable for doing the work that we want them to do uh, and, and having it be a very interactive process. I love the hula hoop idea. It's got, I mean, I can just see that with their little post-its and physically getting into the Venn diagram. Now, from what you're describing, the use of intercultural comparisons also encourages students to develop these communication skills. Can you tell us more about how this happens? Um, Adam, one that um, I've used in a couple of different workshops and that kind of resonates with the way I often did things in my class is that sometimes I would feel like I needed to bring some cultural information to my students. And that might be a short, you know, two paragraph reading or uh, watching a video or getting some of that from an image or something like that. So we did one where I wanted them to understand the Spanish concept of la paranda, which would be kind of like a, a, um, an outing that people might have in their backyard just to get friends and family together. Okay. So they might start with the cultural reading, but from that cultural reading, there's some kind of a practice that we would ask the students to reflect on and to understand what's being said about the Spanish speaking country. But then right away, we want to turn that around and say, well, is that the same as what you and your family do? 
Uh, for instance, uh, Walter, who's um, introduced our podcast, is a wonderful guitarist. Well, probably when his family gets together, he brings out the guitar and he plays the guitar. Does that happen in my family? No. You know, so um, kids want to be able to talk about and need to be able to talk about, well, when you and your friends get together and family, what do you do? Okay. So then that's the beginning place. Reflect on my own experiences. But then getting into your idea, Adam, about how to develop the communication, we'll then have them survey other classmates. Maybe they survey some of the heritage speakers in their community or in their classroom. Maybe they even go out into their neighborhood and find out from other community members how they would respond. And then they bring the summary of their findings back. Maybe they pair up or get in a small group of three and four, and they share all the things that they have learned and then prepare some kind of a presentation. And if you had groups do their presentations, if you wanted to take it to a next step, then is listen to all the presentations. Now, analyze the findings. Do you find that everybody does the same thing? Do you find commonalities? Do you find differences? So you've gone from hearing information about a country, reflecting on it, my own experience, surveying different people in my classroom and outside of my classroom, summarizing and maybe doing an analysis. So what a great process uh, to, to go through many with many steps, all that really developed the communication skills too. You know, and I was thinking too, when I was a district supervisor, one of the things I was really curious about was what would kids say at the beginning of the school year about why are they enrolled in a foreign language classroom or a world language classroom? And 75% of the students without fail, almost every year would say, I want to study a world language because I want to know what it's like to be a teenager in another country. And so um, since that was their overwhelming um, response, I think it, we really need to try to help them have that experience in our classroom. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to have them interpret surveys. I mean, you can um, find a survey for almost any topic for example, one of the ones I used was when I was doing my family unit, there was a survey done in Mexico. And uh, the question was, ¿Qué es lo que más te gusta de tu madre? And in Mexico, the majority said, uh, tus, uh, sus consejos. <laughs> uh, and I thought, there, my child was a teenager at the time. There's no way he would have said that he valued the thing he liked most was my advice, as opposed to the American kids, when I would ask mine and my students here in Oklahoma, they would say possibly her cooking, but they would never say advice. So I think those are some of the things that are very valuable because a survey, again, requires very little language. It's usually lists, bar graphs, very easy to interpret. The hard thing, I think, for teachers with surveys is finding them because you can do a search and go down a rabbit hole about and just do a typing in inquestas and you could be there for hours, which is, I think, the, or days. That's the reason why we thought as authors it was so important in Authentico and in Realidades to come up with resources, not only for the surveys and put those surveys within the units in the book, but also to come up with that follow-up activities to go with them. Because there's no teacher in this country, who's going to say, no, I don't want my students looking at surveys because um, I don't think they're useful. Everybody would think they're useful. It's just, I don't have time to find them. And I sometimes I run out of ideas about what to do with them. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that um, kids find really interesting. Uh, 
sprinkled throughout Authentico are things like how long is the school year in different countries in the Spanish-speaking countries. For example, does the U.S. have the longest school year? How does that compare with Mexico or Chile or Argentina? Well, in the survey, in the book, they find out that the U.S. has got the shortest school year, not the longest, not even the middle. And that surprises them, you know, quite a lot and how much technology is used in different countries. So all of those things are very accessible to them in a survey and also then can be extrapolated to then surveying each other. Well, this has been great. Thank you to Peggy and Rich for joining us again. Listeners, you can find the previous episode online if you haven't heard it already, and keep an eye open for the next episode of this podcast when we'll explore how to assess for cultural understanding. Many thanks to Peggy Boyles and Rich Sayers for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. This podcast series is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savvis.com today to request curriculum samples for your school or district. And you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savvis Learning with hashtag moving learning forward.